0: I would say reevaluate what you're offering with the lens of how can you help? Because what you want to build in this time from a brand perspective is a long-term relationship with potential customers. And trying to jam your same old value prop down their throat is not gonna work. So I think it's a time for kind of reevaluation on that front as brands think about what messages they wanna put out there.
1: Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. I'm Mada, and I'm the host for How I Grew This. I'm thrilled to have our next guest and a friend, Sheila Vashi, who is currently the VP of Growth and Marketing at Opendoor. Previously, she led marketing team at Dropbox, product marketing at Apple, and corporate strategy at Gap. Sheila, I am so excited to have you on the show today with us.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here, and uh, and I'll take any chance to, to catch up with you again, Mada.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. So... Let's begin to how with how you're doing. We're going through some hard times. How are you holding up?
0: I feel that this is like what we're experiencing right now is is absolutely unprecedented and we've never been through something like this in in our lifetimes in our parents' lifetimes, maybe in our grandparents lifetimes. I'm doing okay on the personal front, you know just kind of working from home is a challenge, I think especially for people with kids and so trying to navigate that and then on the work front, it's been very interesting. I think the operations-heavy businesses have had to kind of rethink the way that they do business, either their supply chain, the way that they interact with customers, same with retail businesses. And so a lot of that has been happening, kind of reorging, kind of trying to figure out like what, what operations can continue, what we need to pause, and how we continue to conduct business in the meantime. So it's been a really interesting, challenging time on that front.
1: Anything you can share with us and any changes that, you know, you guys have done that maybe you have a recommendation for others to do? Any learnings from all of
0: this? We're definitely still learning because everything's happening real time. I think what's really difficult is that on the real estate side, like transactions can't actually happen because like like title companies, doors are closed right now. Like the, like all the regulatory bodies are not operating. And so what we've been doing is trying to figure out how do we continue just helping customers and adding value in the meantime. And then the second thing we've been spending a lot of time thinking about is how do we prepare ourselves for what the world will look like after all of this happens. And I think there will be some really interesting secular trends that, you can build for today. So for example, we know that like people will likely be more interested in virtual interactions after this experience, either from the standpoint of safety or convenience, you know, working from home and staying at home for a long period of time, people will start to get used to transacting that way. And so we're heavily investing in a virtual real estate experience, either home showings, open houses, et cetera. So we can be ready with that when things come back online. And then, same with just kind of digitizing the whole transaction process. And so, in early conversations with customers, like there's been a very, very strong interest there. And so, we're using this time to prepare for that eventuality.
1: I think that's that's. I think that's good advice for um, other businesses that are being impacted by this. Any personal learnings? from going to this? Any like interesting things you found out about yourself by having to be at home? Any tips for coping through this? I think I've asked. People seem to have very different ways.
0: I'm sure there are all kinds of creative solutions. I have started to really value rooms with doors because (laughs) otherwise (laughs) there's no way to keep your kids out of your workspace. My workspace is my bedroom. As you can see, my husband is downstairs in the in the office, which doesn't have a door. And so it's been just really interesting to try to figure out how to carve out some time in your day purely for work that is kind of kept separate from everything else happening in the home at the time. It's, It's a true challenge. And the other thing that's interesting is seeing how schools have adapted. So my daughter's in preschool. One of my daughters is in preschool. And even at that level, they're pushing into virtual learning. They're very soon going to start having Zoom hangouts for the classroom. And so just like a, just a crash course in basically like virtual learning, which I think would have been a very slow transition if it hadn't been for something like this.
1: I'm sure we're going to see virtual startups probably boom as this progresses yeah. and once there's like actually VC money in the markets I think that's like so I hadn't actually thought about that that's super interesting.
0: Yeah, I I think that will happen and I was reading somewhere that I think it's like Class Dojo and and startups like that that's basically like investing in a like digitizing either like the the way that schools like share homework and those transactions and the classroom experience like those are all of a sudden doing really well because people are scrambling to figure out how to continue to educate children let's
1: switch back to you and how you got to who you are today you've had this really awesome career from gap apple dropbox and now open door tell us a little bit about how did you get in your current career how did it all started and is there something you know special that you think kind of got you into this?
0: Well, thank you. First, I, I feel very lucky to have worked at the places that I've worked. I just had a, an incredible experience and, and learned from so many great people along the way. I think one of the things that actually contributed to my proclivity for risk or just trying something new is growing up, I moved around a lot as a child. We, I lived in like seven or eight different states and we moved every couple of years. I was always in a new school. And so two things, I got two things from that. One is I just got really used to change and I actually started to crave change. And so like every one or two years, I, was, I got bored with my situation. I was ready for the next challenge, ready to meet new people and start over again for better or for worse. There are some areas in my life that's probably not actually the best, <laughs> Um, quality to have but I think that helped me at work because it's been a little bit easier for me to kind of weather whatever's thrown at me new situation new job or even like things happening at a company I've been at for some time because I'm used to things always being in flux and and having to navigate that through that so that's one thing I think the second thing is it just helped me learn how to meet new people because I had to do it all the time and develop connections and and that is so important in your job so I think Childhood wise, I learned from those experiences. And then personally, I just kind of through my career have either by happenstance or through kind of calculated jumps, just been able to work with really interesting people and and interesting places. I um, started off in in investment banking actually, right out of college, working with tech companies in Silicon Valley, and then went to The Gap at a time when. When the company was actually not doing that well, it's obviously retail has taken an even bigger hit more recently with Amazon and other players coming on the scene. But just learn so much from that experience. Actually, I think you learn more when a company is not doing well than when it is because you're forced to go through everything in extreme detail to say like what's working and what's not and how do we fix it. And that's just that's a better learning experience. And so that is one thing that that I hope people see either now or, or in the future is that like what we're going through now is going to be an incredible learning experience for the future. And like going through this now, um, sticking with it with, with your company, with your job, even personally, what we'll, we'll all come out, it's incredibly difficult, but we'll come out stronger from this. And so that has helped me in my career. And then, you know, got a chance to join Dropbox really early. The company was, uh, was not even a hundred people and grow kind of the, the teams there and, and the company for five and a half years. And, and that I, I just, I mean, it's, it's hard to kind of quantify how much you learn from, from an experience like that because the company itself was changing every few months. <laughs> it was growing so quickly. It was just a different company and doubling and doubling in size. And just um, it felt like always something new to think about.
1: What attracted you to Dropbox? Why did you decide to leave a big company like Gap to join a small company like Dropbox at the time?
0: I was at business school at the time. And so I was graduating from business school and I had the option of joining Apple, which is a big company, or Dropbox, which is a small one. And I was really interested in the challenge of a small company. I hadn't done it before. And I was craving kind of something new and something something that I felt would be an incredible learning experience and it it definitely proved to be that and more. I have a few gray hairs but it was worth it.
1: And then how did you make the transition to Open Door?
0: So, Open Door is the same thing, I'm just ready for kind of my next challenge and what I really liked about Open Door was that it was a consumer business, it was highly operational which was very different from Dropbox that was a SaaS business focused on kind of B2B and uh, and enterprise. And so it has a consumer business, obviously, as well, but more of the focus was, uh, especially on the marketing side, was on the the B two B business. And I just was excited to get a chance to kind of flex my muscles on the consumer side a little bit more. And it has been an insane and exhilarating challenge. Open door is obviously in real estate, so there's a lot of regulations and there's a very kind of intense regulatory environment that you need to kind of work through when doing anything public. And, um, and it's also obviously right now, I think facing a, kind of a seminal moment around like how people think about buying and selling homes. It's one of the very few verticals that is relatively untouched from a technology perspective. I think now that's changing over the past couple of years. And so just a huge opportunity to completely change the way people transact on, on, their biggest investment like their home a home is the biggest financial investment people make. And the fact that until now it was a paper transaction is just blows my mind. And so it felt like an incredible challenge and I do think that it will be one of the few very successful companies in the space.
1: That's awesome. Uh, I'm a big fan. Any really interesting campaigns that you helped run at Open door that were successful and drove
0: growth? Yeah, a good question. Um, so many. I think what's really interesting about a company like Open Door or even Dropbox several years ago is that it's the pioneer in a new category. And so when you're so take Open Door, for example, it's the pioneer in the iBuyer category. I don't actually love the term iBuyer, but it's what people commonly refer to kind of the category as. And what's really cool when you're in that position is that you're role is not only to build the company, but it's also to build the category as a leader in the space and to introduce people to a new concept and a new, a solution for a problem that in some cases they may not even know that they had. And so that was, that was a really interesting challenge from a marketing perspective, because we got to say, we got to show people how broken the process of buying and selling is today and how it can be so much better. And when you see people have that realization, it's a pretty special experience. And so, so we, we did a lot of campaigns around that.
1: How did you do that? How did you yeah. get them to see that? that? That's like so interesting.
0: So one way that we did that was actually just like lining up. And we did this in a, in a video format. We actually did this in many ways, on the site and content and other things. But lining up every step of the process that you actually have to go through if you're trying to sell a home or buy a home. And when you're actually going through the transaction, you don't think about everything that you're doing because you're just trying to like get to the end of the process, like buy your house or sell your house. You just want to get there. And so you're willing to do whatever it takes because you're single-minded trying to like complete the transaction. But when you take a step back and see, let's say you're selling the fact that you have to have several meetings and open houses and discussions about financing and maybe a buyer falls through and you have to do some home repair and then you have to come back and relist it. And then you have to like, and when you line every single thing up, it is absurd actually that we still have to do things like this in this day and age. And so it was just as simple as literally just kind of telling the truth. And then showing that it could be so much easier, and then it was just a no-brainer. We almost like didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to say anything else. We just had to show people what they were doing. And,
1: and was it successful? How did you guys measure success on this?
0: So that particular campaign, I mean, we've done many like that. But the first one, it was multi-channel. So we did everything, literally every channel, from TV to uh, some radio. We did direct mail. We did out-of-home and obviously digital every channel social uh, search etc emails and um, open door has a benefit of being in multiple markets. And so we ran this campaign in a couple of markets and then we had match market we ran a match market test basically so we had other markets that were similar in either size or price point or you know age etc and looked at the difference between the two the impact of kind of the the specific marketing effort. And we doubled our market share in three months.
1: Wow. That's incredible.
0: Yeah. So it was successful. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and that just gave us the ammunition to try it in more places and explore kind of different channel formats.
1: That's such a great story. How about uh, Dropbox? You joined super early. I think you were the second hire, right? On the how was that different? Do you have some stories about the early days?
0: It was dramatically different. Obviously, the transaction was very different. It was a subscription business and a freemium model. And so where Open Door does a lot of outbound marketing because they have to actively tell people what the company does and about the category, Dropbox was a massively inbound business because people, it had the network effects of sharing. And because people wanted free space so they had this insane referral model
1: everyone copied the referral model
0: everyone it, it was genius it was it was genius because it would like and it still works actually like <laughs> and uh and so like what was so fascinating about marketing at dropbox is that you didn't actually have to do it for a long time and it was more about how do you make sure that you're harnessing the demand, that you're getting people the right product, and then eventually building new products. So like my big focus for a lot of the my early times at Dropbox was building the business product and launching that. And what was so interesting about that was that customers were literally banging down the door trying to... Like asking for this product because they were taking the consumer product to work and they just wanted a way to do centralized billing because it may, just made it easier for them. So our first like feature launch for the business product was centralized billing. <laughs> it was such a big deal. That's amazing. And so like, and from there, obviously, it got like very, very sophisticated. Now it's like fully enterprise ready product, and there was a lot of work on the marketing side to show people that it was enterprise ready, and we did campaigns around that and the whole sales outreach and things like that. But it was just a completely like unique experience from a marketing perspective because you didn't have to do outbound marketing in the beginning.
1: That's super interesting. And I think so different, right? So different. I don't think, I think from a branch perspective, we've always had to do outbound. I mean, even in the early days, we, we did, we, we, I mean, we still get a lot of inbound, but it's all from content and thing that we generate we're not inherently a viral product, like something that touches a user, right? So it's so interesting to hear how it is to be on the other side.
0: (laughs) No, I mean, trust me, at at Open Door, I'm like, I would kill, I would literally kill for the network effects of Dropbox. (laughs) I would do anything. And, And Open Door is even farther because it's not a subscription business. So like, every quarter we're like
1: every single time coming up
0: new customers and it is hard (laughs) so i don't i don't think i realized how good i had it when i was
1: there i can see that So switching gears, um, I think to personal growth, i like to, I think I I want to have this podcast be a mixture of like growth in your company. And I think you've shared some really interesting stories. Actually, I'll I'll ask one more before we move to the personal growth. How about the failure? Do you have like some things, people always learn so much from the things we try that fail. Anything you can share that others might be able to learn
0: from? Absolutely. I've failed more times than I can count. One really big one was when I was at Dropbox, and we—I don't know if you guys ever tried. Uh, there was a photos product that we had launched.
1: I have used the photos product. I, okay. I didn't really. I tried it. I didn't. I wouldn't say I used it, but I remember it. Well, that
0: right there was the problem. <laughs> that was the exact problem, and the failure on on my part was we launched the product and just assumed it was going to be successful, like because at that point we'd had very little experience with failure, frankly. (laughs) And so we launched a new product. We just assumed it would take off like everything else. And so on kind of the marketing side, we made a huge deal about it. Like massive press launch, massive event, tons of marketing, like made a really, really big push and just set ourselves up for failure. Because then like there was a ton of focus on this product that like didn't have a chance, like we never gave it a chance to grow first. And so um, my my recommendation and what what I've done since is kind of adopt a more iterative process. So launch, grow through organic channels, grow through, you know, some of the more high intent channels first. And then as you start to see progress, then make a bigger kind of public splash. And I think that gives the product a chance to be set up for success. And that gives the marketing a chance to be set up for success. So big learning there. That's really
1: great advice. Going back to the personal side, you know, I think when we organized a dinner a few months ago, and I think what really struck me, a lot of the people that came to that growth leaders dinner were people that had worked for you at some time in your career. And they all loved you. I think it was very, it was so clear to me that everyone thought you were such a great manager how did you become a leader and a manager? Tell us both about your journey and how did you learn to be a manager that and a leader people love so much.
0: Well, that's very kind. Thank you. I uh, I don't know. Maybe I crafted that way so it, at the dinner it would look like that.
1: No, I'm just. Kidding. I mean, it was twenty people. No, there's no way you crafted it. though.
0: <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, but thank you. I uh, I guess uh, just my my journey as a leader is as I said earlier, I just took kind of the, the most interesting job, the biggest challenge. And I was attracted to the things that seemed the messiest. Maybe that's a, that's a character flaw in myself, but, um, the things that looked messy, the things that looked harder with the things that were more interesting to me. And so I always took that option, whether it was a new job or even like projects within, within a company. And so when you can show that you bring order to chaos or when you can take something that's not working and make it work, you tend to get more opportunities at that company or, or at future companies. And so that ended up working out in my favor, even though my intention was not to, was not to manage at least in the beginning. And I think what it takes to, to be a good manager once you're in that position is I think for, for me, it's always just about being yourself because people can recognize immediately when you're putting up a front or you're trying to be something that you're not or not being authentic. And so know yourself, flaws and all, and be open about it and hire for areas that you know you're not good at. And, and, and I would be very open. I, I would have people on my team where I'd say, you are much better at this thing than I am, like much, much better. So you go do your thing and you tell me what you need. I'll tell you what, what we have to accomplish in a certain time frame, and you just go do it and you tell me what you need. And that has always been my approach. And that is why I've always been able to hire people who are better than me and kind of set them up for success. So that's the first thing, be authentic, be yourself and recognize your strengths and, and failure or not failure, strengths and weaknesses and hire people who are good at the things that you're not good at. And then the second thing is just care about your people. Care about the people that you work with, whether they work for you, with you, or you work for them. And I think like, w- if you care, people care back. And I, I just operate at work the way that I do at home.
1: I love that. It's very inspirational. <laughs> Did you have any mentors that helped you along the way? Any advice for others who are like looking up on a career in marketing and, and marketing leadership?
0: I've been thinking about this a little bit. I I have had mentors... But most of them actually have not been in marketing per se. So, and I don't think I think that's just by circumstance. I had a really close mentor when I was at the gap who was on the the strategy side, and she had been a partner at, at BCG and then and then was leading the team at the gap. And I just learned so much from her on how to think critically, how to build a case for something, how to, you know, project manage, how to kind of be strategic. And so, uh, and I'm still in touch with her. She's uh, now just doing amazing big things at Nike. And so she was an amazing person to work for. And then the second person I learned an incredible amount from in my career was COO at Dropbox. His name was Dennis Woodside. He was just unrelenting in his pursuit for excellence. And it was really tough, frankly, at times because he was so incredibly demanding, but I've never learned so much from from one person. And I'm very, very thankful for that experience now. So those two people are probably the people I've learned the most from. I'm still in touch with both of them. Not specifically marketing, but I think just general kind of good business management that you can apply to any function. That's awesome.
1: It makes me think of my co-founders. I feel that way about Alex and Mike. I think there are demands for excellence. I think I, I had a hard time in the early days with it. I don't think I was quite used to that. So I think having people in your career and life that actually demand more, I think it's really awesome. And it's it's actually yeah, rare. Yeah,
0: that, that's interesting to have it in a co-founder dynamic too.
1: Yeah, I think it is very weird. I think Alex and Mike just like have this... like. Mike has worked every single day, every single weekend since we started. So it's been almost seven years. His dedication. I've never seen anything like it. And I think it's very similar with Alex. I think it's, I was used to being in environments where, you know, I was like much better than others and like I was the one demanding. So so being around people that like I felt were more demanding than me was incredibly challenging. And I felt like I learned so much more, more from that than uh, in any environment I've been in before. So I don't think it matters if those people are peers or managers or even sometimes people on your team right
0: that's true that's a good point that's so interesting
1: you know i think to end i'd ask if you have any piece of advice for people on how to think through this environment and how to provide value right Uh, i think as marketers this is a hard time because customers whether they're businesses or actual people, they're like really, they're really struggling. Uh, they have a lot on their mind. Is this a time where we should stop marketing altogether? Should we change the way we approach marketing? What are your thoughts on this?
0: couple things. So I, I agree. It's a really difficult time for marketers right now on money fronts. One, because budgets are getting cut. So Airbnb came out a couple of days ago saying they were cutting their entire marketing budget. Many, many companies will follow suit, like Google and Facebook will get hit on the ad revenue side, like agencies will get impacted. Like this is a very difficult time. Secondly, it's difficult because people don't know what's happening. So they don't know what they want, unless you're in a kind of a, what's considered an essential business right now, like healthcare or food delivery or something like it's hard to know whether there's any demand for your service. And so Those two things make it really hard to know how to navigate the situation right now as a marketer. And so whenever, obviously we've never seen anything on this scale before, but but in those kind of instances previously, what I always go back to is two things. Number one, be incredibly data-driven with anything that you do because this is an environment where you need to chase down every dollar and show ROI. You need to understand every customer you're bringing in and the LTV, why, like what's the payback period for everything you're spending? Like those are going to be the things that you need to be able to defend in, in this environment. So that's the first piece. And the second piece is more on the brand level. Like how does your brand kind of, how can you contribute or help the lives of your customers? Because coming out in a time like this, when people are facing, you know, health scares and potentially job loss and you know our childcare issues and things happening to loved ones and like coming out with the same message and value prop and trying to sell your product whatever it is can seem callous and not helpful. And so I would say like reevaluate what you're offering with the lens of how can you help? Because what you want to build in this time from a brand perspective is a long-term relationship. With potential customers and trying to jam your same old value prop down their throat is not gonna work. And so I think it's a time for kind of reevaluation on that front as brands think about what messages they wanna put out there. So those are the two things I think that will help either in this time or set marketing teams up for the future.
1: That's great advice. Thank you for sharing. I wanna end it on a lighter note. Um, we have something called a lightning round. So we have three questions Ooh! we added them to the list fairly late. So I think they were, uh, they're the one, the fun side. So,
0: okay. I'm, I'm excited. I'm just looking at them now. So <laughs> it's just going to be off the cuff.
1: Okay. So question number one, if you had to delete all the apps on your phone and you only had one app left, what would it be?
0: Oh my goodness. I'm literally looking at my phone right now. I think it would be instacart i love that because i cannot get groceries from any other app right now
1: (laughs) that is i am experiencing the same thing and uh, instacart is a branch customer so i'm supporting them anyway but on my own using
0: them but it's an interesting time for them
1: it's an interesting time for them it really is okay if you could have an app to talk to one animal but and one animal alone what animal would that be it can be a specific animal or like a type of animal
0: i'm just like the rest of the country suckered into tiger king right now so i don't know if you've seen that but it is no crazy. i i don't
1: know what tiger king is i feel like i live on another planet okay
0: check that out when you get a chance it is like ne- another world so i would want my app to talk to the big cats in tiger king and just find out what are they thinking
1: wow okay I'm I'm going right after we're finishing the podcast. I'm really curious. Check right it now. out. And then the last one is what's the most unlikely app on your phone? This is strange.
0: So for some reason, the past couple of years, obviously the Bay Area has had like issues with air quality from all the fires and everything that's been happening. And so like through all of that, I became so nervous for some reason about air quality (laughs) that I started compulsively checking, even though there's not an issue right now, (laughs) the air quality in my area. And so I'd found this app called air visual that will like tell you every element of air quality um, in your area far into the future and compare your city to all the other cities in the world.
1: So, how are we doing?
0: So, I'll tell you right now: San Francisco is at a seven, which is excellent. But I think it's because it's been raining so much, and that's like kind of one of the best in the world. So, wow, good right now.
1: I feel pretty lucky. I, I should get. I mean, I've definitely been in places where I got sick from the air quality because I was just so not aware of it. So, I think that's yeah. a really interesting app to have.
0: I have family who live in India and it's just like, you can't even go outside.
1: I know we are, we are incredibly lucky. So thank you so much for taking the time on in this, in this like crazy time. Uh, And it's been really great having you on the show with us today. Thank you, Sheila.
0: Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career until next time keep growing.